unacceptable to us. A type of a salvation that's offered full and free without you or I having any part in it or anything we can do for it. This is fought against most in churchianity and Christianity and within our own hearts especially more than anything. That salvation would be a gift of God. That the work of Jesus would be sufficient for eternal life. And that you and I cannot purchase or buy it or pay for it in any way because it totally rebels against everything that we are we have heard all through our lives we're told from our parents we're told from everyone there's no such thing as a free ride and we come to learn that in this life that there's nothing free we pay for everything that it's with effort or money or something that we attain anything in this life at all. And that's why Christianity and the gift of God is so contrary to us. To think that the eternal God of heaven would come and give something that is beyond measure, a pearl of great price that we cannot even begin to put a price on and he says if you want it you can't pay for it and if you think you can pay for it you can't have it and so our whole being just rebels against the thought of it because it just shouldn't be so it just has to be that we have to give something that before God that we have to offer something of ourselves until God in his great grace after you and I are broke and we've paid all and we've given all and we've tried everything we have borrowed even more to try to pay for it and we've had to finally come to the point where we have no more to give and we've had to stand before God and say there's nothing else and then God opens our hearts to that gift of life a gift which is his son and he says here you who have labored and you're tired of laboring and you're tired of trying and you're tri- tired of paying he says here's the one who has labored and who has paid it all come and look upon him this brazen serpent come and look upon him when you've been bit by the, by the serpent and come and look upon this brazen serpent that's lifted up on the pole and find life Oh, that our hearts could be drawn away from ourselves into that place where Jesus 
is lifted up and he draws all men unto him then men's fightings are over and our battles and our walls and our problems and that's the only place it'll happen where you and I are gathered together with uplifted eyes looking upon the thorn-crowned king and our we have to admit that we're all then on the same level no more big shots but that we're all the same because we're all on the ground we're on our knees and our faces are pointed down in adoration and honor and praise and glory to the eternal God know that God could work this work in our hearts even in this time I'd like to read a part of which is recorded in the book of Exodus starting 33rd chapter starting with the 12th verse through the end of the chapter and the words are as follows in the name of Jesus and Moses said unto the Lord see thou sayest unto me bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me yet thou hast said I know thee by name and thou hast also found grace in my sight now therefore I pray thee if I have found grace in thy sight show me now thy way that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people and he said my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest and he said unto him if thy presence go not with me carry us not up hence for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight is it not in that thou goest with us so shall we be separated I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth and the Lord said unto Moses I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken for thou hast found grace in my sight and I know thee by name and he said I beseech thee show me thy glory and he said I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy and he said thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live and the Lord said behold there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by and I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen Amen this happening was soon after the golden calf and we remember this story of of what happened the account of it when Moses went on the mount to receive the, the law from God that he was delayed in coming down from the mountain and and then the people they because Moses wasn't coming down they, they spoke to Aaron and they, they wanted something to worship and they they took they took their earrings which were in the ears of the wives 
and the sons and the daughters and they brought them to Aaron and they all broke off their earrings and they brought them to him and, and they were melted down and they made this molten calf this object that they wanted to worship there's been much discussion about well, what would be the golden calf of our time and I sure don't have a enlightenment or a idea of what it would be in itself I think it could be many things when we look upon it even just naturally it's talking about something that's that's an object and so we say well what's the golden calf in, in our life has Israel today found a golden calf something that we would want to want to uh, worship because God tarries because God is not coming is there something that we want to take and, and worship we look at it naturally is it possessions is it and that's endless there's so many things we could talk about possessions that capture the heart of man is it uh, within religion is there is there a golden calf that we that we uh, worship is there something that would come before the eternal God of heaven that we would worship even in our religious circles have we put our church before God and we thank God for this church and this living faith that he has given us but is there anything that we would take even of of our our own church and say that this is more important and that we worship and honor this above the eternal God of heaven when we look into our own hearts as Doug even spoke that that so often we want to offer things up of ourselves before God for eternal life is there something in your own heart that that we treasure that is a golden calf before God some good work that we have done or some position that we're in perhaps in the church or whatever something that we would put before God to merit and be a calf something that we would offer up as a God something that we can worship Moses when he came down from the mountain God had already talked to him and said that that the people had corrupted themselves that they had been disobedient and they had gone away from the things that God had taught them and they had made a calf and worshipped it and God said unto Moses that this people is a stiff-necked people they're stiff-necked and they don't want to listen to the word of God they don't want to bend to the word of God what kind of people are we today is there a fear of God within the living church today is there a fear of God within the hearts of 
people today? Or are we indifferent to what God would speak to us? And do we say that, you know, God doesn't really care? That God is that type of a God, that He's a forgiving God. And He's not really concerned with what we do. He's not concerned with our lives. He's not concerned about sin because sin has been paid for. It's forgiven. That Jesus paid it all. Therefore, we needn't be so concerned in our hearts and our lives. I think it's a great mistake. I don't know what seems like within our own hearts that we become have become indifferent towards God and towards His exhortation and commandments of His Word. But yet when Moses came down from the mountain and he knew that God was angry with the people for what they had done he then began to speak unto God and he began to tell them that Lord why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to confuse them on the face of the earth consume them on the face of the earth turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people Moses told them to remember those who he had promised the gifts to Abraham and Isaac and Israel remember thy servants that you had told them that you would multiply thy people that you would give them your seed and they shall inherit it forever and it says that the Lord repented of the evil which he had thought to do to his people he repented of the evil that he had planned to do to his people how important is prayer how important is prayer within our own lives within our own hearts as a people, within this congregation, how important is prayer? Do you realize, perhaps many of the young, and I know I never even thought about it until I was older, that there are those elders who pray, and I'm sure in this congregation there are those who pray for this congregation. But it's in their daily meditations to God that they pray that the Spirit of God would be preserved. Moses remembered these leaders of Israel and he said, remember them. You listeners to the word even in this congregation, do you remember your speakers and do you remember to pray for them? Do you listen with willing ears when they speak to you of the things of eternal life? When they encourage you along this pathway of eternal life, when they, through that gift which God has given them, they speak to you of Jesus. When they speak to you of sin and the things that are taking place within your own congregation, do you thank God for them? Or do you say, I wonder who's speaking today and I wonder if we should go to church? Because I'm tired of listening to that. 
You know, many times in this Christianity, we we look upon those who God has even set to to proclaim this word, and and that's all we do is come and see if we can find something to pick apart. Instead of coming to the hearing of God's word with that oil of olive. That oil that is that type of oil that we would bring to the hearing of God's Word where our heart would be prepared to hear the Word of God. That we would come to, come to the services with that type of a spirit that Father speak to us. Speak to us about eternal life. If we need to be torn down because of our lives, then Father speak to us about our lives so that we would come to know these things in the time of grace. The Lord repented of the evil which He had thought to do to His people. I wonder how long God is preserving this world. And we can't know this because it's God's business, but I wonder how long He is preserving this world because of the prayers of those. You children who may be walking in disobedience, I wonder how long God is preserving eternal judgment from coming because of your parents prayers for you that you would come to repentance in the time of grace that when you are flying down the highways of this life with no thought or no care for the things that are of eternity remember that there is one who is praying for you that there are many in this congregation that there are your parents whose pillow is soaking wet at night and they're not able to sleep because they are praying and hoping, crying unto God that preserved them and preserved time so that they could come to know the knowledge of Jesus. That they could come with a humble heart and repentance. I remember as a child even in my teen years when I would be in those pathways that are contrary and I'm sure now, and I didn't think of it then, but I'm sure my mom and dad, that they prayed, and many a night they waited up, wondered about their boy. And when the burdened heart and conscience, and we have in those years when we had to come to go to our parents and, and acknowledge before them that I've sinned. And we have come to our parents and oh they have wept but I'm sure they were so much the tears of joy and thanksgiving that God had listened to their prayers that they were that they had been heard and that their children had found that their sin was something that was separating them from life and that they would want to have sin put away so that they could be free May we never forsake it within the assembly of believers. When we speak of so many things that are great matters of justification by faith, of eternal life, the gift of God, the work that has been done with Christ, completely free of man, let's not forget how important it is that we go one to another and we confess our sins. And how come it's been left off? Have we, 
I remember a young man once came to me and he said that I've heard it ridiculed so much and put down that it's not important that we confess our sins that he said, I don't think it's necessary to do it anymore. But yet I find myself with a burdened heart and a burdened conscience and what can I do? Oh, that God would work within our hearts. That we would find the need. When there is sin upon our conscience that we would go one to another. And that we would confess that we are sinners and we are in need of forgiveness. That we can hear even from the mouth of another, be it our parent or whoever, that the price has been paid. That sins are covered, they're blotted out. Moses, when he came down from the mountain then, and he was broke those first tablets of stone that were given to him, he was angry with the people and he spoke harshly with Aaron. And we know then that he called the people and he said, He said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And the other ones, then they, he was told to put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate, to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell on the people that day about 3,000 men. Well, the consequence of sin that was there, 3,000 men fell. And then Moses spoke unto God and said, Moses spoke unto his people, I mean, he said, You have sinned a great sin, but now I'm going to go to the Lord, and I'm going to speak in your behalf. The Lord said unto Moses, Go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Then it goes to the part that we read. Moses then came face to face, spake un Moses was spoke face to face with the Lord. There was a cloudy pillar that came to the tabernacle door, and Moses spoke with God directly there. And this is the conversation then that we have read tonight. It says, Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, and show, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that thy nation is thy people. Now, for each of us gathered here tonight, this word, we have heard the word spoken. The word has been spoken that God has provided eternal life. That the gift of God is through faith, eternal life in the work of Jesus. But I ask you tonight, are you able to believe it? Are you able to believe what you have heard with your ears through these services, what you've heard through the years from this pulpit? Are you able to believe that this eternal life is yours? Is it something... Or are we here like Moses and say that we need a sign to show us? 
We need something to see that thou art with us and that you will show us a way. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Now then the word has been spoken also unto you. Perhaps you still can't believe, but the word has been spoken unto you now, and it says, the Lord says, I will do this thing, and I will show you that eternal life is yours. I will do this thing which thou hast spoken and asked for, for you have found grace in my sight. First of all, we have to believe that the grace of God is extended to man. Are you able to believe that God's grace is something that's extended towards your heart? And you know, and these things seem elementary if we would talk about them, to say that the grace of God is extended towards sinners. But when we would look at God's word, and as a whole say that, well, that's what the Bible tells us and it must be true. But then we have to ask this individually to ourselves. Have you ever been in that place where you didn't believe that the grace of God is for you? Have you ever been there where you wondered if God's grace is yours? Have you ever been at the place of thinking that I am not one of God's chosen people? That I must be one who has been rejected? and cast out from his sight? Have we become hopeless and helpless in ourselves? Or have we just looked upon this word lightly and said, well, if God's grace applies to us, then it does. Then we have not come to a place of death within our own heart where we have had to see that we need a Savior and that we're in need of the grace of God. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Then this happens within the heart of man. If there would be a time in your life, or if you can remember a time in your life, where you have been to that place, that you felt that you were rejected of God, not able to be saved, impossible because of who you were, that God could look upon you with favor. And you have cried unto Him that this grace could be yours. And a little glimmer of hope has come when you have heard from the Word that Christ came into the world to save sinners. A little bit of a glimmer of light shone into your heart that you were able to think that perhaps if Jesus came for sinners, then He must have come for me because I find I'm a great sinner. And you have then asked for this sign. And He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, here we stand before this word of God. Each one of us here tonight. In different hearts, if there are in different hearts gathered here tonight, who think this means nothing. And we're gathered here for the sake of gathering. But if there would be one heart here tonight, who has found that they are not able to save themselves, one heart who is crying unto God for eternal life. One heart who is helpless and hopeless 
before the righteousness of God. And then we would say, we would then be able to comprehend from this word that we have a God before us now, one who will be gracious to whom He will be gracious. And He will show mercy on whom He will show mercy. Then it becomes a different matter, doesn't it? This eternal life is not yours for the taking. This eternal life is in the hand of the one who has purchased it. And unless we come to the place in our hearts and our lives where we are needy beggars of grace, it means nothing to us. But we find then that we are merciless, merciful, looking to a merciful Father in heaven. We have come to the place in our life when we have been told to seek after the kingdom of God. And we have sought after it, but we have not been able to find it. We have been knocked on the door of God's, God's kingdom. And we have knocked and knocked. And it seems like the door has never knocked, been opened onto us. And we have finally come to the place that all our endeavors have left us helpless and hopeless. And then before God, we have had to admit that God, if you will be merciful to me, be merciful. And I pray that you will open your, the door of your grace unto this heart who is undeserving. And if you would be gracious unto me, then be gracious, because it is in your hand and not in mine. And what is the consolation of God's word for us then? Do you think that if there is a heart even such as this gathered here tonight, a heart who has found that they are not able to take grace because it is something that is in the hand of a God who will give mercy if He wants to give mercy. Do you think then that we would have a God who would draw you to this place to then stop and say that no, you're not going to get it? What has been your experience? What has been your experience? When your heart has cried unto God for eternal life. When you've been at the place where you're helpless. Not able to even pick yourself up. Not even to, able to say a right prayer. Not even to ask God for anything. But all you've been able to say is, Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. What have you found then? Have you found a hard-hearted God who has looked upon you and said, No, that you're not worthy. But I think each one of us would admit that there has been a God then who has come across that gulf that has been separating us from the eternal God. There has been one, and His garment is bloody red, and He has come across that gulf, and He has come and He has picked you up, and He has held you close to Him, and He has said, My precious child, my precious beloved child, how I have longed for you, and how I have sought you, and now you are mine. And oh, how I want to hold you close to my heart and to my bosom forever. But this is only for those who are needy. Only for those who have come to the place of where they are nothing. Only of those who have found that they're not able to save themselves. Then this, then this bloody Savior, oh, how He calls unto our hearts then, and how He warms our hearts, and how He draws us unto Himself. But oh, that we would always remember that it's, on, it's God who will be gracious and God who will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. The righteousness of God has stood before each one of us, and we cannot see God face to face and live. Because of the 
greatness of God and the brilliance of God, there is no way that any one of us could stand before Him. The righteousness of God and because of who we are, be able to live. There's no way. So God has said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. When the judgment and righteousness of God was over your head, then this great God of heaven has taken this rock who is Christ Jesus, and He has hid you in the cleft. He has hid you and He's covered you there with His hand. And we have to say that a cleft in the rock is nothing but an opening or a place of hiding. And this rock is Christ. And this rock is Jesus. And the cleft that we are hidden in are none other but those bloody wounds that have been put upon His body on Golgotha's cross. There we are hid, brother and sister, those who have been purchased by this loving Savior. This is the cleft of the rock where we are hid and where we are kept so that the righteousness of God would pass by and we would not have to die, that we would be able to be hid in this place. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And this last verse of the text then speaks to us, and it says, that thou shalt see my back parts. And what can this mean? We cannot see the face of God, but we can only see the back parts. God is that gracious. And He knows that we're not able to see Him face to face, for that we will die. But He says, you will see my back parts. I will show you my work. I will show you my Son. I will show you eternal life and what He has provided. I will show you the things that I will do I will show you the things that I will do to bring back my child that has fallen away from me, to draw him back to me, but my face shall not be seen. My righteousness shall be hid. The judgment shall be taken away. The condemnation that each one of us so deserves will be removed so that we can stand before God in perfectness and righteousness and holiness even tonight. Are we partakers in it? Have you stood at that gulf? Have you stood at that place where there was a gulf separating you that you were not able to walk through to get to the other side? Have you stood there and known that if you die in that place or are left in that place, you're eternally separated from the God of heaven? Have you seen the thorn-crowned king as he has been on the other side that he's beckoned unto you and that he's come across and he's engulfed you in his arms of love? For unless we know this Jesus for unless we know this Jesus who saves man and not man who saves himself we are separated from eternal life. songwriter has said he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry thirsty land 
He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covereth me there with his hand. May this be our abiding place as we go on in this life unto eternity's shore. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Tonight I thought I'd read a place from the 49th chapter of <clears throat> Isaiah, and I'll start with the 13th verse and read a few verses. And it says here, <clears throat> Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. As Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Amen. <clears throat> we have many thoughts and, and feelings. And I think sometimes we know what David <clears throat> what David meant when he he cried out one time that what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him. And I've thought of that many times that if we really think about it or have you thought about it that when God looks down from heaven and he sees each one of us individually on this earth I wonder, like that verse said that, we wonder then that, why would God be mindful of us and why would God ever want to visit us? We many times, we, we see how we are, we see our thoughts, we see our feelings. And I know many times, in Christianity, many times it's talked that way that we don't, we don't have to look at what we are like, but you know, it sure would be nice if we didn't look at ourselves and at our sins. It'd probably be real nice that we wouldn't see a little bit what we are before the Father in Heaven. But I just wonder, according to God's Word, if beyond that mind, beyond that thinking and beyond that thought, that I wonder if our Father in Heaven is that kind that when He begins to visit us and He begins to talk to us, I wonder how many times we feel in our own heart what a great blessing it is that we know that we are sinners before God in heaven. See, we know that God's Word tells us that when it talks about charity or it's talking about God or Jesus, and Jesus is talking about charity, hating iniquity but loving truth. God in heaven has never and never will like sin or love sin or have anything to do with sin but but the sinner is another matter completely. Because you know what? We don't realize many times that we have... When God created us, He created us after His own image. And when that image was, when that image was lost in the fall, in the first pages of the Bible, we read about it. And we were partakers through that one man's disobedience, that eternal death came upon every one of us. Our Father in Heaven was not happy. He, he did not... He did not rejoice in that by saying that, well, I made a statement that the day they eat thereof, thou shalt surely die, that now that judgment's come upon them and they should have listened to me and, and that's the end of that, that 
what can we do now that they've they've partaken of that now death and eternal destruction is coming on him just like I said it would come upon him see God's justice and God's judgment is sure and firm and you know the amazing thing is that in the world of religion today we the self-righteousness of our own heart we think that then God forgot about that judgment about the justice and judgment that he made we many times we think that God forgot all about the statement that thou shalt surely die we just think that well when he made the statement well then he made some provision that then man wouldn't have to die eternally but you know what God did make the statement and then that statement that God made and that judgment that God made somehow and in some way had to be fulfilled when God seen that we became alienated from his household we became alienated from his flock and from his house we were cast out of the garden and there was a flaming cherubims there at the gate watching to make sure we don't get back in God in heaven knew in his own heart that there is a plan because you know when we talk about these kind of things there's another place in God's word it tells us this way that if the, if the Lord if he would mark iniquity who shall stand and our Father in Heaven, it isn't as though that David was trying to say in the Old Testament that God does not mark iniquity so we're all going to stand, but God marks iniquity and nobody could then stand. Could you imagine that when God looks and He marked iniquity? The matter was this, is that the, God in His foreknowledge, in His all-knowing heart and knowledge, He knew that when he marks iniquity and when he made the statement of that and the judgment that man will die he knew that then <clears throat> that iniquity is going to be marked and there is not going to be one that will be able to stand and when that iniquity came on every one of us and the iniquity was marked then I wonder in our own heart that how could it be possible that we would be delivered from it how could it be possible that we would be delivered from that de destruction and iniquity that came upon us because when we endeavor and we try sometimes to that we, we begin to try to somehow that we could be, make ourselves satisfactory in the eyes of God because you know what there is not one of us that are here today teenagers, older ones or middle age or whatever it is there's not one of us that wants to go and fall under that eternal word that God made then and that eternal destruction would come upon us. Sometimes it might look as though when we journey along that we don't, it, it looks like we are just carefree and we don't really even take the seriousness of it or even care or wonder whether we do go there or not. And I know many times older people will look at teenagers and say that they journey so carelessly that it appears they don't think about, about eternity at all, that it appears that they are just going there, but you know, going there carefreely, but you know what? There is not one, I don't care if they're teenagers or older ones or whatever, that the heart does not consider. And in such a way that if it was, if it was up to them to decide whether they're going to heaven or, or destruction, there's not one here that wants to go to eternal destruction. I know that, and it'd be good for the parents to know that when you look at your teenagers and you look at them and you many times think that there's no consideration in their own heart, anymore because it looks like they might be and that's not probably all of them but many of them are running carefree but you know what I want to tell you something that 
And it's not to give provision for, and it's not to give a, that kind of a thought that a, that the young would think that, well, they're going to live old because it's not, there is no surety of living to an older age. But you know what? When I journeyed in my younger years and brought up in Christianity, right from as far back as I remember, I was taught, I was taught about the, about the salvation and about destruction and about, about God in heaven and the ways of Christianity. But you know what? As far back as I remember then too, that I didn't, I did not listen. I rather went the other road and went off onto the road of, of unbelief and onto the road of distru- onto the road of fun and all the things that the enemy of the soul had to offer. That's the road I went on from as far back as I remember. In all the days of my teenagehood, all the days I journeyed off in the road of unbelief, and I know what? All those days also I was warned at home and in church about that type of journey and where it's going to go. And you know what? God. He was that kind of a good God that I know when I was off running and living and enjoying sin off with the, wherever I might have been at the time. At those times, they, the matters of and the seriousness of standing before God, they, they diminished for that while. But every time I got back into my bed there in, at night and I'd lay there, the consideration in my heart, and that wasn't my choosing or was it my, was it in my own self or in my desire or will or whatever you would call it but our father in heaven was so good to me that when I laid my head on a pillow at night he wouldn't let me sleep I laid there and I thought and I considered and I thought that this life that I'm living I'm going to have to go to eternal destruction and toss and turn and live there and I know many times your parents probably look at your children and say there's that there's no consideration but you know what the more God awakened my own heart and the closer to the consciousness of where I was going and my conscience, the consciousness where sin was bringing me, the farther outwardly I showed the parents and whoever else, I showed my parents that there was no consideration. I just, if they talked to me, I'd just, I'd just brush it off and make some kind of a light-minded statement as though to make them, be, make, to make them think and believe that there were, I wasn't even thinking about it. But you know what? At that time, it was coming closer and closer, and in and and even towards many years, towards the time when I was coming close to where I was graduating from school, it seemed like then that any time they would mention anything, I'd just walk out of the house. I wouldn't even sit there and listen. I'd just walk out and and go over the neighbors or something. And I remember my mother telling me one time that it seems like one time, sometime in your life, it seemed like you even considered the matters of Christianity. But now, when anything's mentioned, you just run out. And of course they weep and they cry because they're in their own heart they just thought I wasn't thinking about it, about Christianity anymore. But you know what, there's one thing that we have to remember. That no matter what it is to do with salvation or what it is to do with our etern- with, uh, to our destiny of, it, as far as salvation, there is not a, not a very thought or consciousness or anything that we do from our own self. And that's why I say that I can't take one speck of glory to say there that I laid in my bed considering, you know what it is, we have to thank God in heaven that if we have knowledge of our sin and our corruption, that we would have knowledge of where sin is going to bring us and and the consciousness of the seriousness of sin and what sin will cause, what sin will cause. And it is a good thing to know that our Father in heaven is so good that He visits us that way to allow us to know 
that he has marked iniquity and he marks sin, that there is a penalty for sin and there is a, there is a place where sin has to be reconciled with somehow or other. Because you know what? In that fall, we were separated from the Father in heaven and we could not sit there after the fall and, and, and say, Our Father who art in heaven, because he, he was our Father. He's never changed it as far as being our Father as far as being our Father, but to possess Him as our Father is another matter. And so tonight, dear listener, many times when we journey along, even in Christianity, and as we're journeying along in Christianity, many times we think in our own heart that this must be from the devil, when, I, when and my sins are like before me, and I, it seems like I don't know if I could ever believe anymore, and we look in our own heart and we say that we have doubts and we have fears, and you know what, there's times that we journey so such parched ground and like a desert and, and without any feeling whatsoever. And in that time and in those times we just think in our own heart that how could it be possible that I could ever be a child of God. And many times we journey along and we think that way too, that, that way too, that when, when we see how, how filthy and how sinful we are in our mind and in our thoughts. And you know what, even many times the enemy of the soul might even grab hold of you and take you off into some anger or whatever it might be and in your own self you begin to think that way that God could never God could never be pleased with me or God could never he could never in in heaven be considering me and looking at me and in our own heart we feel that way and then the voice will come that way that that you don't even have to think about these things but you know what I'm going to tell you something that when God's word tells us that the spirit lost us against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and that these are contrary one to another so that we cannot do the things that we would when God's word talks about when God's word talks about Jesus talks about that that unless you take up your cross and follow me that you cannot be my disciples you know many most of the time in the world of religion it's gone that way that you don't even have to think about the journey that you can just go from a happy Christianity and a happy life to a happy heaven but you know what, our Father in Heaven, it isn't as though He wants us to feel that we are always condemned and going to destruction so that He can reveal salvation to us. But you know what God wants us to know? He just wants us to simply know that we are sinners, but He loves us as we are sinners. God's Word tells us this way. I remember one time when I was in a feeling where it seemed like there was not going to be any hope anymore. It just felt like there was like a parched ground, like we talk about a just a place of a... Of that there was no water whatsoever for the undying soul. And you know what came to my heart? Our God is that good. He told me, He said this way, He reminded me of a place in God's Word. He said that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have a nest, but the Son of God had no place to lay His head. And then, which is not written in God's Word, but God, then it came to me that way, so that you can have a place to lay your head. Could you believe tonight, dear listener, when you look at your own heart, you look at your own journey, you see your corruption a little bit and not in its fullness because you'd faint if you did to see how, how, much of a, how much of a sinner you really are. But what knowledge you have and consciousness of sin you do have. Could you believe tonight, dear listener, that the Son of God, when He came down from heaven, that the Bible doesn't say this way that Jesus came down here taking upon Him a holy nature like the angels in heaven. But He left that holy nature and He left he left himself in heaven. He left that part which is a perfect and eternal part. He, he took that aside and he came down from heaven and he personally came here 
upon the face of this earth and he was born like you and me and God's word words it that way that he came upon him upon this earth not taking upon himself the nature of angels but he took upon himself the nature of Abraham and then it goes on to tell us that he was tempted in every manner of sin that we have been tempted in and then it says yet without sin and it says so that he could comfort them that are tempted could you imagine what kind of a Jesus we had that he journeyed from when he was born in Bethlehem stable he began to battle and he began to war and he began to war upon the face of this earth all the days of his life he had to battle that warfaring journey it was a heavy journey for him to battle but you know what he had to do he had to leave that resting of his own head aside he left uh, he allowed nature he allowed the foxes to have a place and a haven and the birds of the air to have a place where they could be warm and they could rest but he himself never upon a face of this earth well he was born and wept first from the time he opened his eyes did he take rest and take a time take time out so that he could rest but you know why only for one reason we talk many times that how are we justified before the father in heaven and then we remember that by faith are ye saved and it's and you know many times we think well then it must be that we are justified by faith but when you look in your own heart do you want to stand before God with your own faith do you want to stand before God and say that I believe and I'm I know that I'm a child of God or would you rather believe that way when you look and see that your faith it might last for an hour and it might last for a day and maybe even sometimes a little longer and then you plunge back out of faith and into faith you know God doesn't look at that for justifying faith the devil will tell you that how could you be justified and how could you how could you have a satisfactory faith before God when you believe one day and you build, believe the next and your own heart is up and down you know what our father in heaven looked at his son when he was battling that war and the son of God had a faith a faith that he knew that he cannot take time out but he's going to have to be he is going to have to fulfill and do a and and fulfill and satisfy God with a perfect faith and with a faith that does not wane he had to satisfy the father in heaven with a faith that the father in heaven could look at his son and say that and look at us then and say that now I am satisfied and the son of God battled and he warred all the days that he was upon the face of this earth he battled that war dear listener through the through the deserts and upon the streams of Jordan and he battled it until the day came that when he was on Golgotha's hill he had gone through the garden of Gethsemane and he battled there and all for one reason because he was looking at you and I because he looked at us and he seen that we had doubts and he has seen that we had fears he seen that we had the eternal punishment of sin upon us he seen that that judgment and statement that we talked about that the day you eat thereof thou shalt surely die he knew that that eternal death was on us and he knew there was not a jot or a tittle or a work or a endeavor or a desire or anything that could fulfill the heart of the father in heaven and he took that eternal death upon himself and he battled it and warred and and he warred and battled through the through the garden of Gethsemane and on and there on on the hill of Golgotha as the devil began to receive his mortal blow the enemy the the son of god battled until that day and when he looked at you and i and he seen that we were there hammering the nails and and crowning him he knew that our eternal death was on him he just kept looking at us with a with a compassionate heart and looked at the longing heart of the father 
and he wanted to fulfill a faith that would be justifying faith before the Father in heaven. And there, dear listener, it was eternal destruction, and that eternal death came upon him. And there he even asked a question that, Why, oh, why is my Father in heaven forsaken me? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? The, the, the Son of God, was he was able to cry that because you know what? The Father was His Father. It wasn't as though Jesus ever lost that relationship or union with the Father in heaven. It was always His Father. We weren't able to, like we already said, we were not able to say that He was our Father when that eternal destruction came upon us. But the Son of God was able to cry out that, O oh, Father in heaven, could you imagine? He just talked to God and asked Him that, Why are you now forsaking me? And you know what? The Father had to forsake Him because He looked at you and I and seen that we were lost and condemned and the Father in Heaven wanted you and I to be His children so bad and He wanted that we you and I could be again a part of His inheritance and be a part of His house in Heaven and He had to forsake His Son so that you and I would have tonight could have a hope of eternal life. And then you know what? The Son of God laid His head on His shoulder after battling the eternal eternal sin debt and paid the price to the last jot and tittle whether we believe it or not tonight that price was completely paid for could you imagine dear listener tonight that our sin debt that was eternal and it, and a destruction that was upon us that was going to last throughout eternity the son of god came here we talked something about hell and about hell how long it's going to last and you know what no matter how long it's going to last, we can't explain it with, with our tongue. But however long it was going to be, it is eternity. We know that the Son of God came here and went to the bottomless pit of eternal destruction. There He found you and I swimming, lost and condemned. There was not way, any way we could possibly come out of there. And the Son of God, He took us and picked us up from there. And He there paid the eternal price of destruction that came upon us. And He picked us up, dear listener, and brought us out and washed us clean and forgave us all our sins and iniquities. And there upon the hill of Golgotha, He asked the Father in heaven that, O oh, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you know what? It was not a light matter in the eyes of the Father. The Father's heart began to rejoice that His Son has now satisfied His heart. The Father in heaven's heart rejoiced because now there was a wisdom and a righteousness, there was a sanctification, there was a redemption, there was a faith that was fulfilled, and it was a, it was a fulfilled punishment that was now paid for. And God's Word tells us this way, that when the Father looked and beheld that, you know what He said? That it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, that in the body of His flesh through death, that He would make you and I holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. Do you think there's any reason then for us tonight to begin to say that, that we would begin to sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains? For the Lord hath comforted His people and will have mercy upon His, upon his afflicted. See, it doesn't say here that God's going to have mercy upon those who are rich in themselves and have need of nothing. That's why we have to decipher in a rightful way and ask God to divide it in our hearts that we would know that when we feel our sins and that we are doubt and we, we fear before the eyes of the Father in heaven and it seems like we are just nothing but unbelievers in His sight that we have to decipher and know in our heart that it's not only the, the devil that will plunge us those places but it is in this place here 
that the devil will plunge us there, but there is one thing, he will leave us there. That's the mission of the enemy of the soul, that he wants us to plunge in unbelief and doubt and then leave us there. But our Father in heaven, you know what he wants to do? He wants to just simply show us that without him it is impossible that we could be his children. He wants us to know that we are sinners in his sight. He wants us to know that we are afflicted. He wants us to know that we are blind and miserable and naked and wretched before him, that there is no hope whatsoever without his help. And God never ever leaves us there. It's not God's mission to take us and leave us there. But you know what God does? He will, like it says here, comfort his people and he will have mercy upon his afflicted. Many times we as Zion then will say that the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. Because it says here, and it talks probably about, and it is no question about the most natural affection and compassion that could be on the face of this earth, is that a mother would have for her child. And it says, even there a, a mother may forsake her suckling child. But it says here, that yea, they may forget, yet he says, will I never forget thee. How could the, how could the Father in heaven, dear listener, how could he ever forget us when he looks at his son, and sees that his son was carrying you in the palm of his hand. When he looks at his son and he sees that his son was engraving your name in the palm of his hand. When he looks at his son and it sees, and he sees that all the days of his life from Bethlehem stable till the hill of Golgotha that the Son of God had you personally in his heart and in his hand and he was burning you so that he could justify you before the Father in heaven that he himself has, has taken you as a potter as the clay and that you, He would begin to take and mold you and form you to be a new child and be a new creature in Himself and in Christ Jesus so that all things are passed away and behold, then all things will become new. I want to ask you tonight, dear listener, isn't it that way that when the, if, the, if the Father in Heaven was to look at you and the Son of God would have never come upon the face of this earth, what good work could you have then worked that you would work the works of God? What could you have done? Could you have repented in a perfect in a perfect manner could you have could you have had a perfect faith before the god of heaven could you have had a perfect sanctified walk and journey could you have done something that would have pleased the father in heaven or is it that way that god's word when it speaks of faith that it is of grace and it is not of works because it, if it be of works then it is no longer of grace many times we look at that and people will say well then if it's not of works then we don't even have to think about the journey but you know what the grace of God that has brought salvation and who has picked us up God Jesus himself who is the grace of God who brings us unto salvation has appeared unto every one of us and it will teach us to deny ungodliness and so that the journey will then become a journey of fruit and it is not a journey of works anymore but our salvation dear listener is a salvation by God's great grace and mercy we don't understand many times or do we even remember because the devil wants us to just look and, and, and leave us like we already said in our doubts and fears. But you know what? We don't remember many times that when God in heaven allowed his son to come here, it talks in Hebrews about him being a once and for all sacrifice. And when he sacrificed himself, he didn't have to sacrifice himself again. The blood that flowed from his body did not have to flow two or three times when it flowed, it flowed once and it satisfied the Father in heaven. And today, dear listener, we want to believe that that sacrifice and the blood that shed from Jesus' wounds 
is a is it as it is a sacri- it is a once and for all sacrifice and today it it flows and it flows all day long and it covers our corruption and our sin and that's why God's word tells us this way that maybe we will say that God forsakes us or he's forgotten us maybe it's that way but it says here that yea he will never forget and here and then he says behold the reason he don't forget us is because he has graven us upon the palms of his hands and our walls or in other words our journey is continually before him could you imagine what a great blessing tonight I know sometimes we might think in ourselves that if God is looking at me every all day long and my or like it says here my walls are continually before God that all day long God is looking at my journey and he's watching me that it sure can't be that God could look at me in a favorable way how could it be that I would have a relationship with God in heaven if he's looking at me all day long but you know what we want to understand we want to understand this way as God's word tells us in, in Romans it says this way that when we were servants to sin we were free from righteousness it doesn't say when we are servants from sin that we are free in righteousness but when we are servants to sin we had no righteousness that would cover us in other words it was only servitude to sin we were in captivity and we were in a jail of sin and our father in heaven when he looked at us there was no Jesus as a mediator standing before us but you know what then it says in the next verse that now when we have become servants to righteousness we are freed from sin could you believe tonight when God looks at us and he sees our present day our present day corruption could you believe that he looks and beholds the hand of his son do you could you believe that he looked at the graven hand of his son and he sees that your name has been imprinted there the son of God it cost his life it was no joke or was it some light matter but it cost the son of God's life and heavy journey and it cost him like we already said that he would have to go pay the eternal price through the through this through destruction and hell it cost that much for the son of God that your name could be engraven into the palms of his hands but you know what for that reason when God looks at his at his son's hands and sees that your name is there he can't forget you or he could never forsake you otherwise he would have to forsake his son Tonight dear listener we want to ask the father in heaven that when we are journeying like we are journeying grant grace dear father that we could behold that one who has there hung between heaven and hell who has hung there and that we could behold him and see him and know that for a good man some would even dare to die but here in is our father in heaven's love made manifest and is commended towards us word that while we are yet in our sins Christ died for the ungodly Don't look into your own heart and say that I have to do something so I would satisfy our Father in heaven but behold this graven hand of the Son of God who has fulfilled and has made a perfect satisfaction in the eyes of God that when God looks at you he could tell you just like he told his son and have that ownership of you and you could possess it with all your heart that the Father looks at you and says that you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and in that place then David rejoiced and said that blessed are you because your sins are forgiven and your iniquities are forgotten and no more do I impute your sin unto you could you imagine what a blessed jail what a blessed prison that Paul says that I am a prisoner in the Lord Jesus Christ because you know what in that prison of the Lord Jesus Christ it is not a captivated prison of bondage but it is a captivated prison of freedom and we could today as sinners 
but yet redeemed sinners to, to know in our own heart and say like Paul says that I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In Jesus' name, Amen.